This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Ewa Kamarikson. I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. And this is This Week in Sparkling Water. I woke up and I was going to record a podcast and then I couldn't find my car keys. And it's like, bro, how am I supposed to focus when part of my mind is thinking about how I don't know where my keys are. So I had to spend a very long time tidying up the house. Because if you tidy up the house, you're going to find your keys. And then I couldn't find them. And then I just found them here in the studio. They were just on a table in the studio. Because I was being I was being silly. But I found them. It's good. It's, um... I think I'm extra bad at... It's like when there's something I'm not, when I'm talking to a person and there's something I'm not supposed to say. I think I'm extra bad at not saying that thing. I'm extra bad at hiding what I'm thinking about. So if I'm thinking about how my keys are missing, it's like we're not having a conversation. Especially things that are missing. There's this one time, <laughs> this is one of the craziest things that has ever happened to me. Just in terms of, I was so surprised by myself. This one time I couldn't find my passport and I was staying at Ingrid's house. Stop me if you've heard this story already. I'm staying at Ingrid's house. (laughs) This is such a stupid, crazy story. I couldn't find my passport. I looked everywhere. I was staying at Ingrid's house. Ingrid was had an apartment at Smålandsnatwiwen which is the frat houses and oh, everything. There's just so many stupid explanations nested within stupid explanations here. But the frat houses in Sweden are called nations. Ingrid was staying at one of the nations, uh, which is very different from frat houses and frat houses and sororities in America. First of all, they're not gendered because that's awful. Um... I thought I had nothing to talk about today, but I actually, there's five things I'm realizing. Yeah. Um, this one time I couldn't find my passport and Ingrid had this little two bedroom place, two bedrooms and a bathroom and a hallway connecting all of it and a tiny kitchen. And that's the apartment also where she wrote, first of all, she drew on all the walls because it was kind of a crazy period in our life. And also Smolans and Hunes where all the anarchists live. So you're allowed to draw on the wall or like, who's going to stop you? You know, like in a, in a truly anarchist commune, everyone is always trying to one up each other about how much we don't give a shit about rules. So we're drawn on the walls in there and over the wall, over the doorway to the bathroom, she wrote trouble in paradise. And that has really turned into a thing for me where whenever anyone says that they have an upset stomach, I'm just like trouble in paradise. And it's in my mind, I'm always tipping my hat to Ingrid whenever I say that. And I say that all the time. Um, this one time I couldn't find my passport and, and she's got two bedrooms. And in one bedroom is like her little brother and his girlfriend, Sven, who later passed away. He went to a music festival and, and he, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. 
I love that guy. And then the other bedroom, Ingrid was staying in the other bedroom, and then she had like a mattress on the floor, and and I would sleep on the mattress on the floor. And then this one time, because I couldn't find my passport, my mind was so what they in Chinese say, hulu hu tu, where your mind is just like muddled, scrambled eggs in there, and really hyper, that I woke up and I did a bunch of sleepwalking, and then I got in bed with Ingrid and I just woke up and, and Ingrid didn't wake me up and didn't say anything. So I just slept next to Ingrid in the bed and took up the entire bed because <laughs> she had this little, little tiny bed. Swedish beds are small, bro. And then I'm a big guy. Swedish people are big and Swedish beds are small. And then I'm this big guy and I'm taking up about 85% of the bed and Ingrid's just like, <laughs> just because I couldn't find my passport i like walked i was like an undead person doomed to what is that called in english goyen is that what it's called in swedish just like ghosts when they have unresolved matters they just are doomed to forever walk the earth anyway That's one of the few times where I feel like I just didn't know what I was doing. And that's a terrifying feeling. That's like, that's like that truly humbling thing. Cause even if you're completely wasted, you still feel like those stupid wasted decisions, like they are your own mistakes. But then sometimes you break through and you really feel like decisions are made and things happen that just, that wasn't you that did that. Like this one time in Shanghai, I don't even know. I mean, I think we were kind of doing drugs, if I'm being honest with you. I don't know which ones. But I remember being wasted and literally not knowing what was real or not. And then I found this like hallway where I could reach from one wall to the other wall. So I could, I wedged myself against the walls and then I just climbed up to the ceiling by like put by like just squeezing myself by just using these two opposing walls and just with my legs and I, and the whole thing felt so unreal because in reality, you can't fly and you can't climb walls and stuff. But I climbed up to the ceiling by just wedging myself between the walls. And because of that, I thought nothing was real. I thought this wasn't real. I thought it was a fantasy or something. So then I jumped down and then I threw a bottle in Carl Krause's face. And then when I did that, I realized, oh shit, this is reality. I just did that for real. And that was one of the other few times in my life that I've felt like I truly scared myself. It's the thing. It's the, how I should put it. I scared myself. That thing with Ingrid, I scared myself because I didn't know I did that. And that bottle I threw at Carl Krauss, I, I it was one of the like small handful of times in my life where I truly scared myself. Because I was like, oh, I didn't know that we were doing reality. 
Yeah. Yeah, different things can make you puncture the fabric of what you think is real. Like not finding your car keys, not finding your passport, drugs. The passport, too, it was a tricky one because I had put – it was at my parents' house, I think, or my dad's house. Um, I had put my passport on the windowsill, and it had fallen off the windowsill. And then he had these long drapes, like just window curtains. And they fell along the fabric of the drape and got stuck in the inseam of the fabric between the fabric and the wall before hitting the floor. Like, come on, guys. That's one of the hardest to find things. So it was hovering three inches above the floor between fabric against a seam in the fabric begins between the fabric and the floor. I mean, between the fabric and the wall. Uh, 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 come on, give me a break. That's one of the hardest to find. That's one of the hardest to find spots imaginable. Like if you were to sort of, um, if you were going to hide something from the police, that's a pretty good spot. I also think it's like, I related to this when there's something I'm not supposed to say, I just cannot not say it. And that has come up many times in the podcast because there's many things on the podcast I'm not supposed to say and most of the times I just say it. Because this is my space and I want to just be comfortable. I think there are two ways to attack life. Either you can be more, like life is suffering. Actually, I read this book on Buddhism and, and that's not how we're supposed to say it. That's not life is suffering is too much of a definitive statement and Buddhism isn't about a tr it's just about these suggestions of how things might work. So there's a much softer way of phrasing that. I read this book called Buddhism Without Belief which is like it's a wonderful book by Stephen Batchelor about how how these phrases, Buddhist phrases that have they're actually they've drifted far from the original way of how the Buddha meant them, and they've been turned more into religious statements because so much of what Buddhism is, so much of it was informed by comparing it to other religions, but it's actually way different from that because there is no belief system. It's more like suggestions and a maybe a self-help it's just maybe a description of how th some things work. You know? If your life is suffering, maybe you should detach from everything and realize that all the suffering is the product of attachment. What was I saying? So life is suffering. So either we can try to lessen the suffering. There's two ways to attack things in life. Either we can try to make the suffering smaller or we can try to be okay with the suffering. Those are the two ways of attacking the problem of life is suffering. And I think we all do both, but I much more than other people, I think I, nah, I shouldn't compare myself to other people. I think I have been very focused in my life on lessening the suffering. I think, no, that's how everyone does it. That's how everyone starts out. That's the child way of doing it. The much more mature, enlightened ways to just be okay with the suffering and realize that you can't do that much to 
make the suffering smaller. But so, if there's something in my mind, I like to just have everything in my mind be completely flow. I cause I think it's probably because I've been super privileged and not have had any trauma to deal with. So whenever something small crops up, I just try to extinguish it right away. So I, my mind is just like this completely, you know, field of grains growing and just this field of something with nothing there. Yeah, anyway, I hate, I hate the way I said that, but that's okay. I think it's also why I'm bad at keeping secrets. Because keeping a secret and talking to someone and feeling while you're talking to them that you're not supposed to tell them the secret, it's just... Or maybe I just like to gossip. Maybe I'm just making up excuses because I'm just a massive gossiper because I'm a narcissist and I just like to make everything about me. I like to take credit for stories, maybe. Oh, boy. The other thing that I really feel like I have to say because I feel bad about it is that yesterday at work, I was talking to my coworkers and I was telling, so it's me and Doug, the other manager, who probably I should have him on the podcast real soon. It's him and me and then a couple of servers and we're all standing in this room and we're, we realized that... um the soda gun in the bar, maybe we're out of the syrup for the tonic water. So when vodka tonics are made, really what you get is just you pour a shot of vodka and then you, you when you pour tonic on there, really you're just getting soda water. Because the syrup in the back, we're out of the syrup. So I tell Doug to... I ask Doug if he could check check on it, but I ask like this. I'm like, Doug, could you do us a favor and check on this on the syrup for the tonic and then natasha is standing next to me and she's like oh my god that's the most condescending and insufferable way to ask i've ever heard like that's incredibly annoying that you ask like that and i don't have any control over that and i was so surprised that she said that and i immediately felt awful because what's worse than realizing that everyone hates you so i immediately was like fuck that's what i sound like And then I'm immediately like, ah, oh, why do you think I'm divorced? That's what I said. I hate myself. Why do you think I'm divorced? Because I have no control over this. And I don't know that I sound absolutely insufferable. <laughs> and then Natasha's like, I didn't know you were married. <clears throat> and I was like, I was married for five years. We had two couples therapists. And I immediately like started podcasting or some shit. Awful. And then I just started, started explaining my life to Natasha because I was freaked out. And I was like, that's how I ended up in America. I was married to an American woman. <clears throat> and then this other guy, Corey, he's like, oh, yeah. And then you realize that these American women are kind of crazy. Like, we make them kind of crazy around here. And then I think Corey is hilarious because he's Corey's kind of a villainous character. And sometimes I become villainous with him. So I, I sort of latch on to that thing he's saying and i'm like yeah bro american women are so crazy like why do they all want to get choked that's what i said and it's like oh. 
such an annoying thing to say. And then I'm walking away and I'm like, you know, God forbid you don't choke him. <clears throat> and then five minutes later, the way Natasha brought it up, it's like, she was like this. Is Hannah coming in today? Because she meant the host, Hannah. Like, and I was like, no, we don't have a host today. And I'm like, I'm, I was like, why would we need a host? Like, we have plenty of staff here. Like, we don't need a host. And then she's like, yeah, but I like it when there's like another girl here. I don't like it when it's all boys. That's how she told me. And it's like, fuck. And then I realized the whole thing. I realized that I had been a bro and that I had been toxic and that I had made her uncomfortable and that this was her way of telling me. Oh. <sighs> that sucks because I love Natasha and she's such a working with her makes me so happy and, and I made her uncomfortable just because I was trying to be funny I gotta text her and apologize and I gotta work on that I gotta work on not saying things like that It's just sometimes I, I become uncentered when I, when it starts with me being sensitive about something. Like I became sensitive about feeling, I was sensitive about, oh, sensitive about being insufferable and talking in a super condescending, rude way and not even realizing it. Super sensitive about that. So then I'm uncentered and then I'm feeling defensive. And then I feel like I have to use outrageous comedy to like get myself back. And if I'm just funny, then people will like me. So then I say crazy things just to be funny. And it was funny as fuck. And Corey thought it was funny as fuck. He couldn't stop laughing. He thought it was hilarious. But it was the dark arts. I was using the dark arts. I struck up a conversation with the swimmer below. You know, I reached down into my the dark abyss of my heart and I reached all the way down to that, that dirty water at the bottom of the heart and I, I struck up a conversation with the swimmer below and and that's the dark arts and, and and there's a lot of power there, but we shouldn't use it. God damn it. I broke my own rule. I gotta I gotta work on that. I gotta text Natasha. I gotta text Natasha. And apologize right after I finish recording this podcast. I have to apologize. God damn it. And then Doug came back and was like, you were right. We were out of tonic water. So like these last couple of days, I've been serving vodka tonics and people have been sending them back. This one lady sent it back and was like, I can't taste the vodka, which is not what she should have said. She should have said, I can't taste the tonic. Because basically what I got her was a vodka soda water. And she says, I can't taste the vodka. You you feel me? Why do all American women want to get choked? Like, what is that about? Why do they all have the same daddy issues? And that's the dark arts. God.
yeah, I'm sorry. And then later I was talking to Cass and I said something where I was like, oh yeah, Natasha is sometimes is uncomfortable when she's the only girl here and I have to be cognizant of that. And then Cass was all like praising me and being like, oh, it's so nice that you're like cognizant of that, that you like respect that she doesn't want it to be too bro-y when it's all men here and she's the only woman. And I was like, yeah. Suddenly I'm getting this compliment, the least deserved compliment in the whole universe. And that made me feel double bad when you like, you know, you hurt someone and then <clears throat> five minutes later someone is like, it's so nice how you never hurt someone. And you're like, yeah, except... Uh, <sighs> Ugh. maybe we should drink a water so um these this is kind of a motley crew here um this one is called kin euphorics light wave ground no grounding calm a functional beverage for modern rituals some hippie shit i bought this in a fucking store that has plants fancy plants fancy expensive plants where i also bought a fancy expensive plant and fancy sparkling waters and sex toys that's the three three things they have sunroom and <clears throat> javi actually bought me a thing there before i've actually re reviewed something from there before um and then i've also at holbrook someone dropped off a oh god i hit the mic someone dropped off a fucking postcard with a discount code on it the place is called the sunroom and then someone drops off a postcard that says the sunroom and they, it has a holbrook discount code on it and then i go in there and buy a bunch of shit and i can't remember the discount code so i buy everything and pay full price like what's better what's worse than that feeling you know not that everyone wants to be a coupon queen but what's worse than knowing that there's a coup that there's a coupon that you just left in the car and now you're paying full price what's worse than that nothing kin I don't think this is a... The reason this is just part of like an episode of Weird Ones is that I don't think this has a flavor. There's just one. Kin Euphorix just has one drink. And the flavor is just... I don't know. Mind your mood, caffeine-free, recommended use. A wind-down beverage to calm the mind and mellow the mood. Best served chill. I have to go to work after this. So hopefully this isn't going to fuck me up. Oh, shit, that's going to go really well with the other ones because that's a super aromatic smell. Cardamom, cinnamon. Oh, fuck, that's weird. It's gently fizzy, at least. Um, so I'm getting cinnamon. Birch bark extract, vanilla extract, lavender extract, American oak extract, lactic acid, smoked salt, gentian root extract, ginger extract. Passion flower extract, cinnamarian extract, licorice root extract, bourbon vanilla extract, cinnamon extract, chili pepper extract, rosemary extract, clove extract, saffron extract. You you fucking you got all those words there? The cinnamon. Did it say cardamom? I don't even remember. There was so many things. I don't think it did. Saffron. Yeah, that's nice. I fucks with it. I don't think that there's anything here that does anything. So I think it's silly that we turn everything into something that has a use. Recommended use. 
but whatever. That's a beautiful tasting beverage. Dietary supplement. Like, stop trying to, oh God. Stop trying to circumvent the New England Journal of Medicine, guys. This thing that Dr. Luke always told me, RIP Dr. Luke, is that like, if something did something, it would be a whole science to figure out the dosage. So whenever there isn't a bunch of dosage information of how much should you take, then it doesn't do anything. That's how you know. Because everything that actually does something will do something good in one place and something bad in another place. And you have to manage the two and you have to not go too much. And there's a whole science to... Uh, it's kind of like I <laughs> I read this thing about how... Um, formaldehyde is it formaldehyde like the thing that no is it formaldehyde that people put on a um on a piece of cloth and in movies they put it on a piece of cloth and hold it over someone's mouth and that makes them pass out no that's not formaldehyde whatever that's called in movies it takes like two seconds but the reality you have to have a soaked thing and you have to be inhaling it for five minutes before you pass out. And then like the next question that comes up on Quora is like, what's the safe, what's a safe way to knock someone out? And then it's like, the answer is like, yeah, that's a complete, that's a complete misnomer. And there's a built-in contradiction there. Cause if you knock someone out, like you're literally, that's, that's, means that you fuck their brain up. That is what it means to knock someone out. So like knocking out always involves brain damage. And the only way to circumvent that is like anesthesiology, which is like an anesthesiologist is not a nurse. That's a full doctor, you know, it's a full, you got to read a whole book to know how to knock someone out safely. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Yeah. I was going to record, I woke up and I was going to record a podcast and I couldn't find my keys and, and then I, and then I found them because there's no way to not find them and try to not think about that and record a podcast. And then I went in the opposite direction and I tried to like remove everything in my mind that's been weighing on me. So like a year ago I bought a truck and we kind of rolled up, me and Hal rolled up on this car salesman at the Toyota and, and we kind of made an impression on him and I can't really explain why because that's a little bit of it. But, but we made, it seemed like we were cool people that you should know. And then, so after we buy this truck, he kind of called me two months later and just left me a voicemail and was like, hey, how you doing? Just want to check in with you. And um, then every two months he's been leaving me a voicemail and, and I never call him back. You know what? Part of why I don't call him back, I'm realizing now that I'm saying it, is that he always starts the voicemail with being like, hey, Magnus, how you doing? Because there was a lot of paperwork in buying a truck and getting a truck financed. So I was showing him all these pieces of ID and all on all my pieces of ID, my first name is Magnus. So he calls me Magnus. And then I just like never, I was buying a car. I wasn't 
trying to have a conversation about me. I was trying to have a conversation about making a good decision when it comes to the truck. So I wasn't being like, hey, Magnus is not like, you don't call me Magnus, like call me Joachim. So I never told him that. And that means that he's already in my mind been put in this category of people that I'm not trying to be friends with. Because I make this split second decision the first time they call me something and I decide like, do I correct them? Are we on a path here where this guy is going to be my friend and I need to correct him and tell him that Magnus isn't what you should call me? Or can he just call me Magnus and he's just some guy from the bank? Because some guy from the bank always calls me Magnus. I got to talk to a lot of people from the bank and they always call me Magnus. And I'm realizing that when I get a voicemail and someone's trying to be social with me and trying to be my friend and they're like, hey, Magnus, how you doing? I'm like, next. I just press seven. Message marked for deletion. Or if you press one, it goes, message saved. One new message. Hey, Magnus, how you doing? It's been about, I've been calling you a little bit. It was six months since you bought the truck. How you doing? Just checking in with you. But so anyway, so last week, it was a year ago that I bought the truck, like exactly a year ago. And he called me again and left me another voicemail. And this time, I always feel like, yeah, I should call him back, but I'm busy. This I called him back this morning. We had a very nice conversation. And it was just like, it was such a, just such a feeling of existing in heart. Like, I have this app on my, I have this app I use called Workflowy, which is like my to-do list app where you have, it's this free thing where you can just make a list and then you can nest inside of that list. You can just nest infinitely within lists within lists. So the ma major list is like things I should do this week. And then under that one, it's like longer term goals. And then under that one, it's like done. And then in, under the this week, there's like each day. And then there's like, I mean, there's tens of thousands of bullets in there because I've been using this for a decade. <clears throat> But so in the short term, things I should be working on now, sometimes I have a bullet lingering on the list for months. And this guy has been on there for a long time and, and taking him off feels real good. So then I started hitting all these things like seven months ago, there was this guy who came into Holbrook and his name was Costin, I think. And it was him and his wife. They were they live in Penn Valley, but they were in GV for a little staycation and they were staying at the hotel and they had dinner with us. And I remember he ordered an old fashioned, an old Aztec, I think, or an old fashioned or a Negroni. And he just like didn't like it because those are very particular bitter drinks, like old man. You have to have, you can't have a baby mouth and drink an old fashioned. You have to have kind of an ancient smoky cigar smoking French old man mouth. You have to be kind of a perv to like those drinks and he didn't like them and he'd never had one before. And I was like a little bit like, I didn't say this at all, but I was a little bit like, Hey, so don't order those things. If you don't know what they are, like don't order an old fashioned. If you don't already like old fashions, cause I'm not here for it. I talked about that in the old last episode, how the things we end up loving the most, we have to, they're gross to us the first time we have them, you know, don't fucking walk into my restaurant and you've never had an olive and order olives, you know? You never had wine, you're going to order a glass of red wine because you're going to spit it out. And this guy's out here ordering old fashions, but it's all good. And so what I did when he said he didn't like it, honestly, I don't even remember if it was him or his wife. I think it was him who said he didn't like it. And what I say when he says he doesn't like it is I say, I'm going to 
I'm going to take this back and I'm going to not charge you for it. And I'm going to get you something else because, because I want you to have a, I want you to like everything you have here. You know, that's what I told him. And he fucking loved that. So then he took out a piece of paper and he, he wrote his name on it and his phone number. And he wrote the name of his business, a fucking ice cream shop. And he was like, bro, I have an ice cream shop and a cafe in Penn Valley. If you ever come through, hit me up and I'll hook you up. I was like, bro, we're out here making friends. I didn't realize we were out here making friends. I was just trying to do my job. And so seven months ago, he gives me this piece of paper. And then I keep that piece of paper on my nightstand for seven months. So for seven months, I'm trying to go to Penn Valley and have some ice cream. And it's just this bullet on my to-do list forever. And then last week, I finally went. Me and Hannah, we went and saw the covered bridge in Bridgeport. Bridgeport is called Bridgeport because there's a bridge over a, it's like you go there and it's this tiny river. It's literally like 10 meters across and they built this tiny single span bridge, but it's the biggest single span covered all wood bridge in all of America, probably all of the world, because it's just like a very specific defunct thing, all wood single span. So back 150 years ago, that thing, it would be like a couple of cents to bring your pigs across. And what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to just pull them through the water, the, the roaring. It's like a foot deep. The water is a foot deep. So you can kind of just go through the water, but everyone's like, all right, let's give the guy a cent and use the bridge. So the bridge was like this major economic, you know just this major economic organism where people plan their whole thing around how there's this one bridge on the river in this one spot. And they, the bridge is 150 years old and you used to, in the fifties, you could drive cars across it and then they closed it down or whatever. And then they, 20 years ago, they closed it to even foot traffic. And then they spent 15 years trying to get funding to restore it. And then they finally did. And then, a couple of months ago, they opened it up, so we went and looked at it, and yeah, it was a little bridge. It's such an old person thing to go and look at it, but whatever. And then we went to Penn Valley, and we had some ice cream at Honey and Cream, and I got the hat. Now, if you're listening to the audio, I'm not telling you to go look at the video just so you can see the hat, because it's kind of just a hat that says Honey and Cream on it, but, but I went to the guy's place, and I... I finally took that bullet off of my to-do list and ah, and then I texted this guy from AA that I've been meaning to text for a long time. We've been trying to have a cup of coffee. I've been postponing it. I took all these things off the to-do list this morning. Sparkling complex bitter, like you. We're doing the next water. The Bitter Housewife, Bitterson Soda, Aromatic. Dude, these have been really good. The first one was very good. The second one was not my thing as much. This one, Aromatic. That's the name of the flavor. Yeah, that's very bitter. That's very bitter. Ginger, cinnamon, nutmeg, cherry bark, Grains of paradise. Man, some of these ingredients are like sarsaparilla, quassia. Never heard of quassia. Gentian? Bro, I had never heard the word gentian in my entire life until five minutes ago when I read it on 
Kin euphorics gentian root. Gentian root extract. And then this one has gentian too? Cloves, allspice. Yeah, cloves is, you know, cloves fucks me up. I don't like cloves because when I pulled my wisdom teeth, I pull, I, don't, I think I only pull the bottom ones. Let me check. I think I only pulled the bottom ones and it left these huge gaping holes that they stuffed with gauze drenched in just clove oil. Just furiously painful, incredibly strong flavor of cloves, completely knocked out by opiates. They prescribed these hydrocodone made me so nauseous, so zonked out on opiates. It was a terrible experience. And the, the what like I couldn't see, I couldn't hear, I couldn't do anything. The only impression I have of the, of reality was like cloves. And, and then they, pres- and then I was like, this hydrocodone isn't working for me. And then they just gave me real oxys instead. And then I fucking took oxys all the time. And then there was a month of just taking oxys all the time. And then I was would go to work and take an oxy and and like I wasn't in pain, but I just like I was feeling like if I don't take oxys, I feel bad. And then I just realized, oh, this is just the opioid epidemic. <laughs> so then I told Dr. Luke and he was like, You gotta throw them away right now. And I was like, but I'm just gonna take all of them though. And then when I run out, it'll be good. And I can't exactly remember what happened, but he took it very seriously. And I think he made my wife throw them away. And that was my little, that was my gonzo journalism about the fucking opioid epidemic. Yeah, so this tastes too much like cloves. And this reminds me too much of when I, of an opium den. That's not their fault. The bitter housewife. That's not their fault. It is, in terms of bitters, though, yeah, this is aromatic. Hmm. Yeah, this is a more normal, just like Angostura, Peychaud's, you know, just like the the iconic bitters. This is in that direction, but we have taken the clove lever or knob and just twisted that knob just upped it a couple of notches there. Yeah, I have to be at work in 40 minutes. Yeah. I think that first one, the Kin Euphorics, that's an 8 out of 10. I think this one is a 7 out of 10. It is good. It's just, for me, it's too much of a wormhole back to a bad experience. God, that was a bad experience, bro. <laughs> I was in a bad marriage. I was in a bad job. I was on opioids. Recipient of bad healthcare advice. There was a lot of bad things going on at the same time. Got to be at work in 39 minutes. At work, I keep getting these situations where I things are new to me because I never put myself in these situations before. Where I never had any... I never climbed any ladder. 
it's not totally true, but, but I keep feeling like I'm in these new situations. And then I think about them and I'm like, wow, I'm such an adventurer. I'm going, doing this thing that no one else has done. And then I realize that it's literally the most normal, commonplace, universal experience ever. Like, like a few days ago, I was in this, I was having this conversation with Joey, the bartender. Where he was mad that I'd been promoted and he hadn't been. And then after the conversation, I was thinking about it and I was like, I literally thought like, wow, no one has ever experienced that before. And then when, yeah. And it took me like an hour to realize that, oh, actually, that's the most normal thing in the whole universe. Why do I feel like that about so many things? Like, I never drove a car, and then I was 35 years old, and I finally learned how to drive a car. And then when I'm driving a car, for some reason, for me, it's infused with this feeling of, wow, no one has ever... I'm really trying something new here. I think it's I think it's about how I am truly hard on myself, and I truly see myself as some sort of, like, completely handicapped loser. So whenever I manage to do something that normal people do, I feel like I'm the first of my kind to get to this normal person level. I'm the first profoundly handicapped person to, I'm the first person with disability to live so close to the life of an able-bodied person. Like, I have some weird body dysmorphia there where I truly believe that I'm completely fucked up. So when I drive a car, I'm like, I feel like a blind person driving a car. And I'm like driving it and I'm like, dude, I'm the first blind guy driving a car. Like, there's only a handful of blind people that drive cars, right? I was reading this thing about this blind guy who teaches blind kids how to ride bikes. So interesting because the whole thesis is like, you can do it using echolocation. You just click with your mouth and you can tell how the click coming back at you. You can tell if there's something in front of you. And you can do it. You can be blind, completely blind, and you can ride a bike. And you're going to crash. And you're going to crash and that's okay. That's the thesis. And kids do it and they crash and then the parents think, yeah, so this was a bad idea because he fucking crashed. And then there's this blind bike teacher and he's like, no, that's not your fucking conclusion. That's not the lesson you should draw from the fact that he crashed. We crash and then we get back up and then we're blind and then we keep getting on our bicycles. We keep, because it's like, bro, I don't know. How brave and interesting is that? Isn't that interesting? Just like a truly different modality. Where you just decide. You decide that it's okay that you're going to fucking... You might die doing this. But if at least you did it. At least you biked every single day as a blind person. Using echolocation. Making a clicking noise with your mouth. And then listening to... Because I don't know. If there's a building in front of you and make a clicking noise, what if that building in front of you is covered with soundproofing foam? Yeah, that's a 
fucking able bot. That's an ableist fucking question. And get out of here with that question. Because if it's a sprinter van in front of you, then you might hear that click come back at you. There are so many shapes and materials that don't reflect sound properly. Oh, there's so many dangerous shapes. I don't know. That's a thought experiment for you. What if, you're, if you had a child and that child was blind? Would you put your child in the hands of the, the blind teacher who says, we have to do this and it might kill us? Because a part of me, a very poetic part of me, wants to say, yes, you should. And then every realistic part of me is like, are you crazy? Like, are you literally insane? Like, we're out here overprotecting our, our kids that can see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I always think, I think I always thought I was special in both senses of the word. I was special, like I should be president, and I, and I'm special in the sense that I'm, I'm fucking special needs, bro. I'm out here, man. I just took a shower, I just moisturized my face, and I'm glossy. You know, I'm like a fashion magazine out here. Ugh. awful gotta remember to text Natasha after recording this episode and apologize to her let's do the third drink here fever tree aromatic tonic water this could be pretty cool this could be pretty cool this definitely needs an opener which is something I do not have hold on Some water I reviewed weeks ago that's still on the floor. The floor in the studio is littered with small clusters of three waters. There's like three waters there, three waters there, three waters there. There's two and about to be three right there because that's what I'm doing right now. Um, so let's just take the Raleigh's Tangerine Lime Sparkling Water Beverage that I reviewed weeks ago. Wouldn't it be funny if at the end of this, it is revealed that I recorded all 100 episodes of the podcast on the same day? Would that be a funny reveal? That would make me truly an insane person. <sighs> new. Fever tree aromat. New. It's new. Made with natural flavors, including Angostura bark. So now, in that moment, we all at the same time learned that the word Angostura, like as in Angostura bitters, is apparently the name of a bark. It's probably the name of a tree, and the Angostura bitters is from the bark of that tree. Not one person listening to this knew that. You didn't know that, and now you know it. Angostura. Yeah, that's very nice, because it's... um. More than anything, it's tonic water. And then it's got these extremely fine, fine bubbles that are that you can really only find. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how carbonation can have different qualities, but it can. And sometimes you get an, a really nice champagne 
and it just has bubbles that are just finer instead of these perverted, gross, absolutely tasteless Coca-Cola bubbles that are enormous that you can see in a in a commercial. Instead, you get these fine filed, silky, small bubbles. And the fever tree people, they figured out these very, very fine bubbles. Aromatic tonic water. It's mostly just tonic water, which is a, it's a nice quinine. Yeah, there is something else going on in there and it is pretty nice. Angostura bark extract. Oh, these drinks are giving me a little bit of a tummy ache, but um, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. That's a very, very subtle, classy beverage. That's some very good tonic water. Um, that's a nine. You make a, I don't know, take some terroir gin from St. George. Mix that with some aromatic tonic water from Fever Tree. And then you're going. You're going. You're alive. Okay, here's another thing I want to talk about. It's like, I think I talked about this a little bit. I think I've mentioned this before, and now I'm going to go back on it. I'm going to rewrite the whole thing I was saying. I have mentioned at some point on the podcast how there's this enormous uptick in hate crimes towards Asian Americans in America. And it's definitely triggered by the pandemic because I think it's fair to say that the pandemic originated in Asia, in China, probably in the, in the wet market in Wuhan. We don't know exactly where, but probably Wuhan and some people seem to be suggesting that, I mean, I think they've been going back and forth, but I think, I think the wet market thing is going to be the most probable thing that we landed on. But, but the point is that people just see the, this enormous bad thing as coming from this place where the Asians are from. So it just causes this thing where some people who, I don't know. What does it do? Who are the people? Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Because I thought that, I'm going to be honest now, I thought that the that the, a big chunk of that problem, that a lot of the perpetrators of hate crimes against Asian Americans were black dudes. Because I've seen tons of videos, just like surveillance footage, of like a nice old Asian lady just meandering down the street in New York City or something. And then some black dude comes out and just punches her in the side of the head a bunch and bunch and bunch. And she like falls over and has a brain hemorrhage. And then he just runs off. I've seen a ton of those videos. It's always a black dude in those videos. And because of that, I was like, oh, so there's this thing where, and look, that could be true. It could be true that the, the, most of the perpetrators are black dudes and the, and 
you can still come up with an explanation model, like a progressive explanation model of how this is really like all kinds of racisms interlocking and how it's like you have this like disenfranchised, angry group of people who are taking their anger of how they're disenfranchised out on the wrong person, but it's still like the solution to the problem is still like a complete revamping of everything where we remove all kinds of racism. Like it's still white people's fault. <laughs> Fuck. You can still come up with a, a explanation model where it, the problem is still white supremacy. And that's kind of where I was at, where I was like, I was kind of feeling like, okay, so most of the people that beat up on these Asians are actually black dudes, but it's still, the problem is still white supremacy because white supremacy corrupted those black dudes into being brainwashed, into being violent and all this shit. <clears throat> and that's a pretty dicey thing to say. It's problematic in many ways, but it's, it is me trying to engage with a problem and trying to and taking a problem seriously and trying to have every option on the table and everything. But then I read this, I just Googled it a bunch and read all these papers about it. And I realized that that's not true. The vast majority, there's an enormous wave of hate crimes against Asian Americans. And the vast majority of the perpetrators, like 80% of the perpetrators are white. But the news media... And the people fucking curating these videos for us. There's systemic racism there, you know? And that man, that's interesting to me. Because it's like, we, the most normal people out here in the reality are like me, I think. And we want to not be racist and we want to work on ourselves and we want to work on society. But then you have this like, on the toppest, toppest layer, there's this systemic racism that's so hard to really pick apart. And it's hard to know that there's some sort of racist curator layer at the toppest layer that's only showing me videos of black guys beating on old Asian ladies. So I think I'm the, it's like, it's almost like society is layered. There's these layers and like the very bottom layer is like these incredibly racist, overtly racist white people who want to be racist and are just, they're very comfortable with just being racist. And they're at the very bottom. And then at the very top, there's the most powerful people. It's like the least powerful people are really racist and really happy with being racist and they just want to stay racist. And then the most powerful people, or maybe they're not even people. Maybe it's just like the system. The most powerful layer is a system. It's not even people. And that layer is also racist. And then there's all these other layers in between of all us normal people with some middle level of power. And we're all trying to be good people, but it's really hard to not be influenced by the most powerful layer and to not accidentally end up with the opinions of the most powerless racist people and god damn it's a confusing world out here because i read this paper by michelle go who's some lady in academia and man if we don't believe academia then what do we have you know viral images show people of color as anti-asian perpetrators anti-asian and yeah 
She found official crime statistics and other studies revealed more than three-quarters of offenders of anti-Asian hate crimes and incidents from both before and during the pandemic have been white, contrary to many of the images circulating online. Yeah. And I was out here being like... Because no one was acknowledging... I. It's weird because... We, I think we all, when we were told that there's a wave of hate crimes against Asian Americans, we were all told that, and it was accompanied with videos, and no, and we all were like, fuck, we got to help these Asians out. And none of us acknowledged that, okay, so it's all black guys in these videos. Like, we never acknowledged that, because we don't want to be acknowledging that, because it's awkward to acknowledge and so it's such a weird dissonance that we're living with. Oh, God. That's a weird one. So many different layers. You know, everything in in, in reality is you're really playing... You're playing Chinese telephone with God, you know? There's something that happens in reality and then that gets heard and retold by someone and then heard and retold by someone and it trickles down from the most powerful upper layer. And then... Yeah. And it's so hard to know what to think, you know? We're just out here playing Chinese telephone with God. But at least I got this fucking dope honey and cream hat oh shit I gotta be at work in 25 minutes alright bro I love you guys thank you for listening <laughs>